You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Okay, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some uh, on the table over there in the back as well. And I encourage you guys uh, to bring your Bibles as we go through uh, books of the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Uh, It's kind of great to have it, I think, in front of you as you can follow along with us. And as we've been studying Philippians, really the overriding theme of the book has been joy. Joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And Paul doesn't speak this flippantly at all. Paul doesn't uh, write this, you know, sitting in some mansion, you know, sipping pina coladas. Uh, Paul is writing this uh, in a Roman cell under house arrest, actually. And he is... Uh, guarded 24 hours a day by Roman soldiers, and he's awaiting certain death. And so, you know, if you were awaiting certain death and you didn't know uh, when it was going to happen, but you knew for sure it probably was going to happen, that you were going to be led down, some Roman soldiers are going to tie you up, and they were going to chop your head off, you know, probably joy and rejoicing and, and, and all of these kinds of thoughts wouldn't be the the dominating uh, theme of any letters that you wrote. You would probably be talking about, you know, hey, pray for me, get me out of this situation, you know, send money, you know, something to uh, free me, you know, bribe the soldiers, whatever. And, and yet that isn't what Paul is saying at all. He says, you know what, I'm content. I, I'm trusting God. I believe that he's got my best in mind and I have joy in the midst of these things. And so that's, uh, that's what we've been talking a lot about is joy. And this morning we want to talk about joy and peace. We've looked at joy in a lot of different things. And, and this morning we want to look at joy in peace. And peace is really uh, the absence of worry or the absence of anxiety. And, you know, maybe, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't worry at all. Maybe I'm the only one that worries, but I, I doubt that's true. I think, I think we all worry. I think some of us, uh, unfortunately, are gripped by worry and by fear and by anxiety. Worry is a completely unproductive emotion. It's kind of like sitting in a rocking chair. You're, you're involved in lots of activity, but you're not really going anywhere. And that's what worry is. It's, it's just kind of back and forth. It's a lot of motion, but it's not accomplishing anything. It's been said that worry is the advanced interest we pay on troubles that seldom come. Statistics say this, that most worry is focused on 40% things that will never happen. And so we're just worried about stuff that will absolutely never come to pass. 40%. 30% things in the past that can't be changed. And so 70% of the things that we worry about, we have no control over and and will really never happen to begin with. 70%. 12% criticism from others, mostly untrue. And so we're worried about things that people are saying about us that really aren't true to begin with or that even if they are true, we can't do anything about them. You know, sometimes, and, and I think pastors are probably guilty uh, of this more than anybody else, but trying to go around and put out fires and worried about what this person said and, and oh man, you know, we gotta, you know, solve this and I can't have my reputation, you know, be marred and we're running around and we're making phone calls and we're all freaked out about what people think about us. 
And really, we can do nothing about it. 10% uh, about health, which gets worse as we worry about it, which is really kind of cool, right? You're, you're worried about your health, and then it, the actual worrying is what makes you unhealthy. Uh, or if you're a hypochondriac, you're, you're, you're worried about things that don't even exist. You're going to the doctor, and, and he's like, man, I, there's just nothing wrong with you, you know, and, and you're just totally freaked out. 8% of worry are real problems that we will face and deal with as they come. And so 8% of the stuff is, is real, but we're going to have to deal with it as it comes anyway, so why worry about it? Why stress about it? Just deal with it when it comes. And there's a story told of a, of a lady who for 10 years was worried that her house was going to be broken into. And every night, you know, she would just have her husband searching the house and, oh man, you know, this, and I heard a noise there. And, and, uh, you know, husband's looking all over the house. And finally, there, there was one night where they heard something downstairs and, and he went down there and, and there was a, an intruder, a burglar in the house. And he said, Hey, it's nice to meet you. I want you to meet my wife. She's been worried about you for 10 years. You know, it's kind of true, right? Like, what good did it do? Okay, it finally happened and you worried about it for 10 years. But most of these things are, they're never going to happen. And there's things that we have absolutely no control over. Worry is the absence of peace. And a lot of people want peace. I mean, you see bumper stickers, visualize world peace, whatever that really means. And, and people stand on the street and they, you know, honk for peace, you know, whatever, and as if that's really going to accomplish a lot. And, and people will try to find peace through alcohol, through drugs, through sex, through money. We try to find peace. And, and yet, it really doesn't bring peace, does it? Peace uh, in, a, in a bottle, um, you know, maybe it, it helps you for a time, but, but guess what? You, you come out of that drunkenness. You come out of that high and maybe the drug gave you a high and gave you a peace for a time and, and helped you to forget about your worries. But guess what? You come back to reality and there it is. And so it's a, it's a really ineffective way. We have to get to the source of the problem. We have to get to the root. So often in life, whether it be our physical health, whether it be our spiritual health, we are treating the fruit of our issues. And we all do it. And I mean, I'm not some like, you know, I mean, look at me. I'm not some weird guy with, you know, health and, and stuff. You know, I'm not like eating properly or anything like that. You know, who would want to do that, right? But I treat the fruit of the problem too. You have a headache, you take an aspirin, you take a Tylenol, right? But it's really not getting to the root of the problem. And that's what we do spiritually as well. We, we have worry in our life. And so let's go on vacation. You know, let's go spend a bunch of money. You know, ladies, let's go buy a new outfit, right? Let's go buy something. Guys, let's go kill something. Let's go blow something up, you know? And, and, and that's kind of what we think is going to help us to take care of our worry, take care of our anxiety. Maybe you're a guy or a gal that likes to go work out, you know, and that helps you. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in reality, that's not treating the real problem. The adrenaline that's rushing through your body when you work out, it helps you to feel better. And, and doctors have told us that that helps relieve stress and helps, you know, tension. But worry is a spiritual problem. And so pumping iron is, is going to help you to feel better for a time. 
It's kind of a natural drug, really. Jogging, running, you know, you get those endorphins going and it will help you. But it doesn't treat the root of the problem. I mean, hey, if, you know, I had the opportunity to, to go buy something new today, that would help me for a, for a time. I like new stuff. You know, I've been wanting a new watch, you know, a brown one to go with my brown shoes because I only have a black one. And I like, you know, I kind of like to color coordinate. So, you know, it, it would help me for a time. But it's not going to make me feel better uh, for the long haul. It's not going to take away real issues in my heart that God wants to deal with. It's like a video game. You can escape reality, a movie, all these things. That, that's how Americans thrive. Do you know that? We thrive on escaping reality. We thrive on being busy. Because you know that busyness kind of helps you to uh, escape reality, doesn't it? If you can you know, just fill up your schedule with all kinds of stuff, then you don't have to face what's really going on in your life. And God says, you know what? I want you to get quiet. I want you to, to sit. I want you to allow me to search your heart so that I can really get to the root of the issue. And that's a scary thing, isn't it? It's a scary thing to allow God to get to the root of our problem. And that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do in in my life, in the things that I'm worried about, the things I'm stressed about, which may be different than the things you are, but we've all got stuff, don't we? We've all got stuff that's kind of weighing on our mind. Maybe it's weighing on your mind right now. Maybe it's as simple as, you know, the the soup that you, you have in the crock pot and you're worried about it right now and you're robbing yourself of what God wants to do in your life right now at this very moment. Maybe it's a lot bigger than that. Maybe it's financial worries. Maybe it's, you know, they're doing layoffs at work and, and, and you're worried about that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's health Maybe it's that, you know, your car's on its last leg and you, you don't know if it's going to run tomorrow. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things that we can be worried about and, and stressed over. But God really wants to, to deliver us from that. And worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle, which is very interesting, isn't it? Because worry strangles the life out of us. It strangles the, the, the life out of relationships how, how can you have a, a, a good, healthy marriage when you're worried all the time? How can you have a good relationship with your kids when, when you're just stressed and worried and freaked out? How can you have a good relationship with the Lord when you're freaked out and worried and filled with anxiety all the time? Because did you know that worry, you guys, it's a spiritual problem. Worry is a lack of trust. Bottom line, it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust in God and in His provision, in His power, in His faithfulness. It's unbelief. And did you know that unbelief is the chief of all sin? It's, it's really at the root of sin because unbelief denies the existence of God. Unbelief says, it's all about me. It's all about my ability. It's all about what I can do. And you remember the children of Israel? What kept them out of the promised land? What kept and, and made them perish in, in the wilderness? Was it some specific sin? Was it, was it sexual sin? Was it drug addiction? Was it rock and roll? No, it was their unbelief. It was the fact that when they had the opportunity to enter into the promised land, they said, no, we don't trust God. He can't protect us. And so we're not going. And they wandered around in circles for 40 years. It's kind of like 
the Old Testament version of NASCAR racing. You know, they just went around in circles and, and for no apparent reason. You know, I never have, NASCAR and I have never resonated. I, don't, I just don't get it, you know. Go around in circles for three or four hours and, you know, and somebody gets to win whose tires didn't blow up, I guess. But that's basically what it was, just going around in circles and circles and circles and waiting for people to die because they all had to die off in the wilderness before they could enter in to what God had for them. And worry, you guys, is sin. And we don't classify it as such, typically, do we? We've got our idea of what sin is, and, and I don't think that worry is often one of those things, but we need to begin to classify worry as sin and confess it and repent from it. We have to see it as such. Worry is the absence of trust. And what does the Bible say? One of the most famous verses in all the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord. Put your trust in Him. Step out. Put all of your eggs in his basket. Whatever that means. I don't know where that comes from. It's one of those cliches that I have no idea what it means. Like have your cake and eat it too. Who doesn't want to do that? Or, you know, if you made your bed, you got to lie in it. It's like, no, I don't actually. I never make my bed and then lie in it. I wait for a few hours and then I do that. But some of these cliches just don't make any sense. And that's one of them. All your eggs in one basket. But just for cliche's sake... You got to put all of your eggs in the basket of Jesus and trust him. Have you ever done any of those, you know, those things where it develops trust in a group? Maybe it's a, a you know, a group of employees that work together or a youth group or some kind of missions uh, team and, and they do these, these tests to, you know, to develop trust where, you know, you kind of fall off backwards off of some, you know, platform and, and everybody is supposed to catch you and or you you know you're you're linked up with somebody else and you're supposed to walk across a ropes course and you have to work together and it develops trust and that's what god wants us to do he just says you know what just fall into my arms yoke yourself up with me trust me trust in the lord with all of your heart lean not on your own understanding that's what worry is it's leaning on your own understanding it's trying to figure it out on your own, that I can do this, that I can figure it out, that I can make this happen. We lean on our, on our own understanding. But he says, what we need to do is in all of our ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. He will guide us and lead us into his perfect plan. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about how foolish worry is. What can worry really accomplish, he tells us. What does it really do? He says, rather than, than worry, what we ought to do is set our mind on things above. We ought to, to focus on eternal things because worry doesn't accomplish anything at all. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 as he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek or are literally worldly people, people that don't have a relationship with God. That's what they seek. They're, they're just trying to, you know, figure out how to live another day, how to make it happen. But he says, your heavenly father knows you need all these things. He's intimately acquainted with your needs. Nothing that's happening in your life right now is, is a surprise to him. He knows about it. And so rather than worry about it, 
We just trust God because it's in His hands. He says, instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so, in other words, trust God. Remember that He's in control. You don't need to worry because it's all in His hands. And when you do that, and when you seek first the kingdom of God, guess what? Not only do you get peace, not only are you storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but you receive all of the things that you were worried about to begin with. And so it's like a double bonus. Whereas when you're worried and you try to do it on your own and you're stressed out and you're trying to make it happen, maybe you do make it happen. But in the meantime, you're all filled with anxiety and stress and worry and you're totally breaking communion with God and you're not storing up treasures in heaven. You're not having the mind of Christ. You're, you're not setting your mind on things that are eternal. So you're only getting one half of it. And in reality, most of the time, you're not even getting that because you're short selling yourself on what God wanted to do even in this life. But when we just give it to the Lord and we set our mind on things above and we focus on things of eternity, not only do we receive all of the things that we were worried about, but man, we get all the spiritual blessings as well. Figure it out. What, what's the better deal? And here in our text, we find the path to peace and the keys to overcoming worry. If you've had worry in your life, if you're worrying about things right now, which I think we all do, but maybe you're a person who's absolutely gripped with worry, this is a, a key to finding peace in your life. First of all, we recognize his presence, verses 1 through 5. Then we realize the power of right praying, not just praying. We're going to talk about that, but of right praying, verses 6 and 7. And then we resolve to think differently, verses 8 and 9. So let's look at recognizing his presence, verses 1 through 5. He says, therefore, Philippians 4, 1, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Therefore, in light of the fact, you guys, as we talked about and looked at last week, that we are going to receive a new body, that we have a heavenly hope, as he talks about in verses 20 and 21. In light of the fact that no matter what's going on in your life, at the end of verse 21, he tells us that he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's a promise that he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can handle any situation, any circumstance. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? I don't know if I do. I don't know if we do. Because if we did, if we truly believe that, we wouldn't be so worried about everything. We wouldn't be so freaked out. We wouldn't try to take care of it in our own strength. Because our own strength is like a joke. We would say, you know what? He's able to subdue all things. You notice that children don't worry about much? It's because they trust that you're going to take care of it. It's, it's blissful ignorance, right? And God, in a sense, wants us to, to kind of live in, in that kind of a perspective, in that kind of a mentality, to just trust Him, to not worry about things. It's not about us. He's able even to subdue all things. And He tells us here in a few different ways that one of the keys to that is recognizing His presence, because he's going to talk about some relational struggles that were happening in the church of Philippi. And that is a lot of times 
what causes worry in our life, isn't it? Relational difficulties, and we're going to see that here, and we're going to see that recognizing his presence is key. He says, so stand fast in the Lord. Recognize God's presence and stand fast in it. Now, this kind of seems contradictory to what he told us to do in chapter 3, which is basically using the metaphor of running a race. Remember that? We talked about pressing toward the goal. We talked about running. And now he's saying, stand fast. What is, how do you reconcile the two? Well, think about a, a cable car in San Francisco. And if you didn't know this, you know, here's, here's a, little bit of, a little bit of info for you. The, the, the cable car is actually not moving itself. It has no motor. It, it isn't powered in and of itself. What's moving are the cables and the system underneath the streets that, that is powering it. That, that is, is what's actually moving the cable car. The cable car has no power in and of itself. And so the cable car is standing fast in the cable, in the power that's being supplied. And that's what God asks us to do, is to stand fast in Him. We ought to be moving we ought to be going forward. We ought to be maturing and growing. And there ought to be activity in our life. But it isn't us. There's nothing in us. It's God that's working supernaturally. We don't see it. But He's working in our life. And we're abiding in Him. We're standing fast in Him. And He's moving us along. Makes sense? That's what God is asking us to do here. As we recognize His presence, as we recognize His power in our life, we abide in that, we stand fast in that, and God moves us where He wants us to go. He says, I implore Yudia and I implore Sintiq to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so apparently these two ladies that have really weird names, these two ladies were having some issues. Now, ladies never have issues, right? They, there's never drama or anything like that going on. Well, apparently these ladies, you know, they were, they were different than, than in ladies in the year 2008. They had problems and they were at odds. And, and Paul says, look, I want you to be of the same mind. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so Paul says, look, you're having some problems. I want you to be of the same mind. I don't want there to be division in the church. Paul would say the same thing to us today. God would say the same thing to us, that he doesn't want there to be division, that he wants there to be unity and love and peace. And if you have relational issues right now with with people, whether they be in the church or without the church, you need to deal with that. You need to seek peace and reconciliation. You need to admit you were wrong. Even if you really don't think you were, you need to apologize. You need to seek out restoration, which is what Paul's encouraging them to do as he says, be of the same mind. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And so despite everything that's going on, Paul says, rejoice. Recognize God's presence in your life and rejoice in that. Remember we talked about what it means to rejoice here in Philippians? It basically means to be finding joy in your life because of what Jesus has done for you. You might not be able to find very many reasons to rejoice right now, but you have that reason. Everything else may be falling apart. Everything else may be coming apart at the seams, 
But there's one thing that remains the same. Jesus said, I am the the same today, yesterday, and forever. He never changes. And we can rest in that. There's peace in that. And we can rejoice in that. Rejoicing in his presence, recognizing his presence. Verse 5, let your gentleness or your graciousness, your reasonableness be known to all men. May people see that we're reasonable, that we're willing to admit when we're wrong, that we're willing to extend grace, that we don't hold grudges is what Paul's saying. Let, let your gentleness be known to all. That the church is not a place where people harbor bitterness and, and anger and resentment. Let your, your graciousness be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. Now, if the phrase the Lord is at hand doesn't mean that he's coming back quickly. In this context, it means that he's always with us, that he's right there, that he's near to us. And you guys, we need to, in order to have victory over worry in our life, we need to recognize that Jesus is always with us. That Jesus isn't somewhere where we have to go find him. That we don't have to invite his presence. That we don't have to drum up his presence. And that's why I'm really opposed to doing that. Like in a worship service, you know, drumming up emotions for the sake of emotions so that we can feel like God was here. Look, Jesus, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit are with us all the time. We may not feel him. We may not have all of the emotions associated with his presence all the time. And that's where faith comes in. And you guys, that's why it's a sin to worry. Because we have to trust that he's with us all the time. And that's why the Bible says that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not highly improbable or unlikely. It's impossible. And so if you want to please God, you're going to have to... Trust him by faith. You're going to have to live by faith. The just shall live by faith, the Bible tells us. And so he wants us to practice his presence, understanding that he is with you, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know that? Hebrews chapter 13, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Not he'll leave you once in a while. Not he'll forsake you if you, you know, kind of get squirrely on him and, and get weird on him. He'll He'll, he'll forsake you. No, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And in the original, that word never means never. Just never. It's not going to happen. And so what is God wanting to teach us through that promise? That he's always there. We can ignore him. We can pretend like he isn't there. We can try to do everything on our own, kind of like your children. When you're standing there fully capable and willing to help and they don't want your help, And they say, no, I can do this on my own. My son Carson's really into that right now, where he can go to the bathroom on his own. It's like, Carson, you can't hardly breathe on your own, let alone go to the bathroom. But we'll go ahead and we'll let this fly, right? So he wants to shut the door. And it's like, you know, there's a a tornado going on in there. Who knows what is happening? And you go in there and there's toilet paper everywhere. And there is, you know streaks across the toilet seat and on the wall and it's like yeah you can really do this on your own huh and but he thinks he can i can do this me want to do it me can do it and that's what we say to god god says man i want to help you i'm here with you i'm more than capable and i'm more than willing but if we want to do it on our own he'll let us do it on our own he'll let us fall flat on our face 
He wants us to recognize his presence in our life, practicing the presence of God. You guys, that is key in overcoming worry. If you're a worrier, if you're a person who's gripped with worry right now, it's because you have forgotten that Jesus is with you. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You know, when we, when we get afraid, when you get fearful, it's often because you feel alone, right? If you're, I'm a, I don't really like to be like alone in a, in a, especially in a house I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever like, I remember when I was a teenager, I would, you know, babysit for people or whatever. And, you know, their kids would be in bed and I'm in their house and I don't know anything. And it's pitch black. And, you know, I'm just thinking like, I'm kind of afraid. I don't know anybody here and I don't know what's going on and I don't know the surroundings. You know, we used to live in this creepy house when I was a kid. My parents were all about buying old houses and fixing them up, but it always took a long time to fix them up. And my room was down in the basement. And I remember when we first bought the house, I mean, it was like a horror movie going down into this basement. And sometimes my parents wouldn't be home and I would have to go down there by myself and I just wouldn't do it. I'd just be like, you know what? I'm waiting for somebody to get home before I go down there. I was too afraid. I remember working in a mall when I was in high school and sometimes I would close up, you know, the, the store by myself and then I'd have to walk across the dark parking lot all by myself at night. And, you know, it was kind of creepy. These guys are thinking, man, this guy's a wimp here. <laughs> but you know what? It's when we feel alone. It's when we feel like there's nobody there with us. And it's the same in our relationship with Christ. When we feel like nobody is there with us, we forget he's with us, recognizing his presence. A second thing is realizing the power of right praying. Look at verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. That kind of eliminates a lot of stuff, doesn't it? Be anxious for nothing. It doesn't say be anxious about the big stuff. It's okay, you know, oh, I can understand why you'd worry about that. That's, that's a big deal. No, be anxious for nothing. There's nothing that we should worry about, whether it's little or whether it's big. We shouldn't be worried about any of it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So two extremes here. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. And so, don't worry about anything, but in everything, trust God. Give it to Him. And people say, well, I mean, does God really want to hear about the little stuff? I mean, am I really supposed to go to God with everything? Like Paul says, to pray without ceasing. Is that really what I'm supposed to do? Am I really supposed to give God everything? Is He really interested in the little minutiae? Here's the thing. Everything is little to God. There's nothing big to him. There's nothing that he would quantify as large. It's like, ooh, this is a toughie here. I don't know if I can handle this one. No, it's all little to God. It's all easy. And so, yeah, we just bring him everything. Because what might seem big to us, and we think, yeah, I can bring this to him, is really small. So we may as well bring him everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You guys, this is key in overcoming worry, is giving it to the Lord in prayer. Now notice he doesn't just say any kind of prayer. It's not just, hey God, I'm worried, take this away from me. God, I'm really stressed out, take it away. No, there's a, a certain kind and way that we should pray. And he says, supplication. What does supplication mean? Well, it's basically earnestly calling out to God. It's 
perpetual. It's continual. It doesn't lose heart. It doesn't give up. And see, often we pray once. God, I'm, I'm really um, worried right now about my finances, so provide for me. Amen. And then we think that, that that's it, and we're, we're done, and God's just going to immediately come through. And God says, no, I want you to continue in prayer. I want you to labor in prayer. I want you to, to trust me in the midst of the, the circumstance. As you're moving through it, I want you to continue to just give it to me and allow my timing to, to, to bring that situation to fruition. And so it's supplication and it's with thanksgiving. Now, this is another area of prayer that we don't normally enter into. And God says, I want you to thank me. I want you to be grateful. I want you to, to remember what I've done in the past. Because that's going to be important in your present. As you remember what I've done for you. As you remember the things that I've done in your past. You remember we looked at Joshua chapter 4 and 5 last week on Wednesday. And what was the first thing that the children of Israel did when they entered the promised land? They were commanded to build memorial stones. Pillars. Why? So that they could look back and remember what God did. So they could be reminded of the faithfulness of God. And God wants us to set up those reminders in our life so that we can thank Him. Because often the very thing that you're worried about was the thing that you were worried about like a month ago or a year ago, and God came through for you. But now you've forgotten about it. Now you've totally lost sight of what God did for you. And, and if you set up these reminders in your life, if you're grateful, if you're thankful, if you say, God, Thank you for your provision last month or last year. I know you can do that again. You're faithful, Lord. You've, you've done it up to this point. There's no reason why you won't continue to do it. And we're reminded of that. And we read the stories in the Old Testament. And we see the faithfulness of God. We see how God provided over and over again. God provides Remember the story in Genesis 22 where Abraham was called to offer his son as a sacrifice? And they got to the top of Mount Moriah and Abraham strapped Isaac to the altar and he was about to offer him to God, which is what God asked him to do. And God said, wait, stop. I will provide myself a sacrifice. And caught there in the thicket was a type of that sacrifice, which was really a, a picture and a foreshadowing of Christ. But for the moment, the ram that was caught in the thicket would, would bring illustration of what Jesus would ultimately do. And God said there to Abraham that I am the God that sees. Literally, I am the God that provides, which is really awesome in the Hebrew because they're the one and the same, the God who sees and the God who provides. It's an amazing promise that the God who sees is the God who provides. Now, we're not that way, are we? We see a lot of stuff that we can't do anything about. You drive by somebody that's, you know, stalled out in the, in the middle of the road. It's like, bummer, man. I'm busy or I'm not a mechanic. I hope it works out, you know. Or maybe you've been in a situation where, where someone needs medical care and, and, and you see the need, but you're not a doctor, you're not a nurse. And it's like, man, all I can do is, is hopefully get you to somebody that can take care of your situation. We can see lots of stuff. I remember coming home from Bible college and you know, when you don't put oil in an engine, after a while, it just kind of, you know, it quits working. Well, that's what happened after years of Bible college, and my, my little Mazda B2000 finally gave up the ghost. 
And it happened to be on the way home in 110 degree weather in the middle of California. And, and guess, guess what? I could look at the engine. I could see the smoke and the, the just oil everywhere. I could see that stuff wasn't right, but I couldn't do anything about it. And, and I coasted in, Andrew and I coasted into this, um, this little shop. It's like the post office, you know, the mechanic and the general store, you know, off the freeway. We, we coast into this little place and the mechanic comes out, lifts up the hood and he's like, yep, she's gone. And I mean, I could see we had problems. There's nothing I can do about it. And, and, but God can look at a situation and he sees it and he recognizes the issue and he can solve it. You guys, he can do something about it. That's the God that we serve. And so we give him our issues, we give him our problems, and we do it with supplication continually, with thanksgiving. We're reminded of what he's done in the past. We're reminded of the stories in the Old Testament of how God's provided for people. We're reminded of of stories like the missionary who was given a car to drive on the mission field, but it had no gas. Lord, uh, you gave me a car, but I, I don't have any money for the fuel. And so what are we going to do here? And God just told him to drive it. Just drive it. Well, God, there's no gas in the tank. How am I going to drive this thing? Just drive it. And he drove that thing for a year with no fuel in the tank. Well, that's impossible. Not for the Lord, it isn't. I mean, God created everything that's in that vehicle. He He can make it run or not have it run. Heard another story of, of a missionary who was imprisoned thrown in prison to, to starve to death. They thought, well, this will teach people not to preach the gospel. We'll just have this guy rot here in prison. No water, no food. Every day, a rat brought this guy a yam. If you know anything about nutrition, you know that yams actually have everything you need to survive. That's all the nutrients and all the vitamins you need. And if you know anything about rats, you know they don't share. And so this was an amazing miracle. Every day, a little rat comes out of the hole, brings him a yam. Every day. And, and God delivered him from that. Is God able to deliver you from the situations and the circumstances that you're in right now? I would say yes. And the way that we overcome the worry that would say, no, he can't, is that we recognize his presence. We realize the power of right praying. And then... Finally, we resolve to think differently, verses 8 and 9. As we realize the power of right praying, you guys, as we realize what it is that that prayer does, as we, as we realize what His presence does in our life, it begins to change our mind. And as, as we understand that we need to give these things to God, that we need to give the worry, the stress, the anxiety, we give it to Him. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just emptying our mind. It doesn't stop with just getting rid of the negative thoughts. It goes beyond that. It, it, it has to also involve the right kind of thinking. Yes, getting rid of the wrong kind of thinking, but then focusing on the right thing. Look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, 
sometimes we hear the term meditation and and if you're not familiar with it biblically, you just think of like Eastern meditation, right? Which is contemplate your navel, you know, twist your body into weird, you know, pretzel-like shapes, you know, sit in a corner, stare at a wall, chant, that kind of stuff. That's, that's like demonic meditation. That's cultic meditation. Meditation biblically is filling your mind, not emptying your mind. And we need to fill our mind with the right things. And basically what's being described here is Jesus in the word of God. That we fill our mind with the things of the word, with Jesus. Every one of these descriptions, things that are true, noble, just, pure, and so forth, they're fulfilled in Christ. Now often these verses, 6 and 7 and verse 8, are kind of seen and perceived as separate. But we need to see them as one unit. That we empty our mind of all the worry and all the stress, but then we fill it with Jesus. And I think what happens is we try to just empty it, and then we go on about our day. Okay, Lord, uh, I don't want to worry. I give it to you. And then we go on about our day, and our mind isn't set on Jesus. And this principle, I think, is true. It's not exactly in line with, with, with this concept here, but... The principle, I think, is the same. You remember when Jesus said, if you cast a demon out of somebody and you don't replace that void with the presence of God, that seven more demons will come and just terrorize that person? Well, I think the principle is that it's not only getting rid of something, that it's replacing it with something, right? And it's not only about getting rid of the worry and the stress and the anxiety, it's replacing it with Jesus. And that's what he's telling us to do in verse 8. Replace it with, with the right things. And the way that we do that, you guys, is through the Word of God. Because again, if you look at all of these descriptions, they're perfectly summed up in the Word. In fact, if you look at verse 8 and then look at Psalm 19, they're almost identical as the psalmist describes the Word of God in Psalm 19. And so we need to be in the Word because when we're not in the Word, we forget how much we need Jesus. When we're not in the Word, man, we forget his faithfulness. We forget what he can do. We forget his power. We forget what he's capable of. And guess what floods our mind? Worry. And he says, just spend some time with me. Meditate upon me and upon my goodness and my faithfulness and what I'm capable of. And that worry that was dominating your life, that anxiety that so grips your heart, that fear that has crippled you, it will begin to dissipate as you give it to me. And then as you fill your mind with the right kind of thinking, which is about Jesus. And as you think about Jesus, you guys, as you meditate on the life of Jesus, here's the awesome thing. What happens is you start to realize that Jesus didn't let anything stop him from what God had called him to do. That Jesus didn't allow fear and anxiety to grip his heart. You remember the night before he was to be crucified? What do we find Jesus doing? serving other people. What do we typically do when we're fearful, when we're worried? We want to spend time alone, right? We want to get a good movie. We want to get some popcorn, some comfort food. We want to feel sorry for ourselves. We want a bubble bath. We want to go on vacation. We want to go buy something. And what did Jesus do? Jesus served people. All that other stuff, you guys, all that selfish stuff will only lead to more introspection, will only lead to more emptiness, will only lead to more anxiety and more guilt and more frustration. 
But here's the thing. When you serve people, when you get out of your little myopic box and you start to help somebody else like Jesus did and you take upon yourself and gird yourself with the towel and you stoop down and you wash people's feet and you tell them, you know what? It is a joy to spend time with you. As Jesus told his disciples, I have anxiously awaited and anticipated this time I've earnestly desired to spend time with you. What? You've earnestly desired this time, this dinner, when you know what's coming right after it, which is your betrayal and your death. Jesus said, I've earnestly desired to spend this time with you. He didn't waste any time with his friends. You know what I see? I see us get freaked out. I see us get worried. And then we, we want to isolate ourselves. We don't want to talk to people. We want to feel sorry for ourselves. We want to get into our own little bubble and we don't serve people. And it's this vicious cycle. And Jesus said, says to us this morning, set your mind on me. And when you do that, you'll find the key, the key to overcoming worry, which is serving other people, giving, it to, giving him your worries, flooding your mind with the presence of God, and then you set out to serve somebody else. And if you're not a servant, if you're not serving other people, if you're not helping other people, if you're not encouraging other people, then yeah, you will be filled with turmoil and confusion and worry. And you think, well, I got to get beyond this, man. I got to get beyond this right now before I can help somebody else. That's a lie from the devil because you'll never get beyond it. You'll always be in this little vicious cycle that revolves around you, feeling sorry for yourself. God says, man, give it away, get rid of it, fill your mind with me and start serving somebody else. It's basically what he says in verse nine, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. What did Paul do? Paul served people. Paul went out and Paul, he preached the gospel. Paul was all about others. How do we know that? Well, he wrote a letter of encouragement to the church of Philippi as he's about to be beheaded. When was the last time you encouraged someone when you were facing difficult circumstances? When was the last time you said, you know what? I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to bless somebody else. That's what Paul did. The things you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Do these things, Paul says. And guess what? The God of peace will be with you. Because that's the key to overcoming worry. That's the path to peace recognizing his presence, realizing the power of right praying, and resolving to think differently, to have the mind of Christ. Not just to empty your mind, but to fill your mind with the right things. And when we do that, we won't be worried. We won't be stressed out. We won't try to find solutions to our problems that don't get to the root of the issue. We'll get to the root. We'll get to the heart. As we read in verse 7, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, people will be blown away. People will be like, how in the world do you have peace right now? The peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind. Peace is set up like a guard to protect you, to protect us from all that stuff, to get at the root of it, the heart of the issue, at our mind, to change our mind to change our heart. And only God can do that. Only God can do that, you guys. No medicine, no book, no vacation, no relaxation can do that. Only Jesus. And I don't know what you're going through right now. And I'm not trying to minimize your pain, 
I'm not trying to say that your pain isn't real, because it is. I'm not saying the things you're worried about aren't valid and aren't true or, or you know, are petty. No, but this says to us, be anxious for nothing, for nothing. Because God knows, you guys, God knows the damage that worry will do. It starts as a trickle in your mind, and then it turns into a stream, which then turns into a mighty river through which all of your thoughts and the activities of your mind will flow. And pretty soon, you're so consumed with it that you can't even function. And some people, having been given over to it so much, end up in mental institutions, end up in care facilities where they they can't even take care of themselves end up having to be guarded 24 hours a day so that they don't hurt and injure themselves. And it started with worry and anxiety that began as a trickle that turned into a stream that began to then be a mighty river in which everything in their life flowed through. And some of us may be going down that road and God says, man, I want to rescue you from that. I want to deliver you from that because that's not what I intended for your life. What I intended for you was abundance, an abundant life that doesn't involve fear and worry and anxiety. He says, trust me this morning. And I want to give you guys the opportunity to do that. We're going to have um, some people up here to pray with you that would love to pray with you. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. And as we close in, in worship to the Lord, I encourage you to just let God do that work in your life. Let God take away all of the anxiety all of the fear, all of the worry, let him strip it out of you and then allow him to fill your mind, to flood your mind with his presence and with his thinking. Allow him to do that in your life this morning. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's so relevant to where we're at. God, and I know that that, that all of us probably, I know that I have been worried about things, God. I've been stressed about things, and and I give those to you. God, we confess that worry is a sin, that, God, it's unbelief, that it takes you out of the equation. God, we confess that to you. God, many right now, God, just need to relinquish their worry to you. And, God, I pray that as they do that, as they maybe even lift their arms to you and, and just ask you to take it, God, that you would come in such a powerful way by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would flood their hearts and their minds with with a peace that passes all understanding, that, God, we would give you our worries, our doubts, our fears, and that, God, you would replace it with the right kind of thinking, that, Jesus, you would consume our thoughts, that, Jesus, we would pattern our life after yours. That, God, we wouldn't be so consumed with ourself, which, God, creates worry. It creates fear. But, God, we would be consumed with you, which would create serving others. God, forgive us. Deliver us. Take it from us, God. We give it to you. Come. Fill our lives. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com 
or if you'd like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.